Um, this evening, I wanted to share with you, I uh, had a word, a very simple word in many ways that I wanted to just encourage you in, uh, which was to do with endurance and working or walking with God through the different seasons, flourishing through the different seasons that God has for us. And, you know, I, I know for me, when I was younger, that I had a very short view of life. For me, my Christian faith, I only saw the next week. And, uh, you know, I was often, my faith was one where I was running a sprint more than a marathon. And it felt sometimes that I was in the process of running hard for the Lord, but often didn't have a 40-year plan or a 50-year plan. And hopefully this evening that I want to encourage you that no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, whether you're 20 or 30 or 50, or like me, turning 50 in January, um, is that I, in a sense, have a 40-year plan. Not my own, I don't have like a set of goals of what I want to do, but of the kind of person that I believe the Lord has asked me to become, because if I look at His Word. And uh, this evening, I want to say that we are, what are we called to do in the Lord is He's called us to bear fruit for um, for the next 40, 50, 60 years, and not to lose sight of that he's working something wonderful in you as an individual, but in us together. And I want us to look at Psalm 92 that speaks about how all these, through the, all the seasons in our lives, how the Lord would want us to flourish through the different seasons in our lives. And as you look at Psalm 92, we're going to be looking at different um, word pictures, metaphors, and these word pictures have got to do with gardening, uh, I don't know who feel van jylle hou om in die tuin te werk, but sê groen fingers, is that right? Green fingers, how many of you have green fingers? So uh, one of the things in my marriage that I've appreciated is that when you are married, you very quickly realize there are certain things that your wife does much better than you. And one of the things that my wife has been much better in me has been in the garden. I find that when I would try and plant something, it would die. When my wife would plant something, it would grow, and she has a wonderful ability to plant things, make things grow, uh, see our garden become this uh, blossoming, flourishing uh, paradise in many ways. And in the early days of, no, well, we were married, our first house we, we were married in, or one of the early homes we lived in, was in Tableview, where the grass, or the, the grass was under, under the grass was sand. It was sandy. Those of you who lived in Bloberg, it's just sand everywhere. No matter how much you water, I would spend hours watering those, that grass, and nothing would grow. Um, but my wife would make things grow. And then we moved to Oatsorn. We planted um, a church in Oatsorn. And our garden, when we arrived, was a bit like a desert. There was nothing there. The grass wasn't there. There were some trees and plants. But my wife set out to make this garden beautiful. And, you know, over a period of few years, this garden became this lush, green, uh, beautiful thing. We had this big tree in the garden. It was a frangipani tree. I don't know if you know. Or frangipani? Frangipani? Um, and so we had frangipani. Okay, but in English we say frangipani. And so we had this tree that our children, when they were small, they would play under the tree. And this tree, um, at certain times of the year, would, would, would have these blossoms, these white leaves that let off this beautiful fragrance. And our, our girls, when they were small, they were like five and three, they would play in the mud under the tree while we would sit on the stoop. We had the stoop that we'd sit under, lacquer o sunstein haste, and we'd sit on the stoop. Um, and in our rocking chairs, you know, no, we weren't that old, and we'd sit on the stoop, and, and my wife would work in the garden, I'd be watching the scene, and our kids would be playing in the mud under the frangipani tree, and we just saw this 
the seasons go past. And if you've lived in Otsorno, you know the southern Cape, especially inland, we know that it gets very warm in summer. It's very cold in winter. And the winters were bitterly, bitterly cold. We'd find that we had this beautiful green grass in summer. And in winter, we had the black frost that would come and kill the grass. So much so that the grass would be brown and dead. And then we'd have to revive it again in summer. But many of the trees kept growing. And, you know, it's interesting that um, the writer of the Psalms, when he is writing about the Lord and he's writing about believers and unbelievers, is what he does is he speaks about unbelievers and then he speaks about believers. And what he does is I'd like to read the first section um, of how he wants to, I think, help and inspire us as believers to, of what it means to walk with the Lord through the different seasons of life. And so we find, for example, in Psalm 92, verse 5 to 7, let, and I'm going to read these three verses, and we see here that he is comparing believers with unbelievers. So firstly, what he does is he speaks about these people that are, he calls them fools, stupid, wicked, and evildoers. You know, the writer of Psalms, whoever wrote the Psalm, whether it was David or one of the other writers, he did not have a problem with saying to certain people, they are unbelievers. And I know in our culture, we don't like to label or say things, but the psalmist says here, let's read it. He says, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man, I mean, who, he calls the stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. And by the way, what is a fool in the Bible? A fool is not someone that is uneducated. In our culture, the fool is a person that maybe doesn't have much knowledge. But in the Bible, in another part of the Psalms, it says the fool is the person who denies the Lord, is the person that rejects God and doesn't believe what he has done or believe who he is. And that is the fool. So you can maybe have a degree or you can have a number of degrees, but if you don't fear the Lord and you don't follow Christ, the Bible calls you a fool. You might be an educated fool, but you'd be a fool. And it says, the, the stupid, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and the evildoers flourish. So it says here that, the, that those that don't know the Lord, they are like um, the grass. And they will grow. They will flourish. And, you know, it's one of the great difficulties in life that I know for myself, and many of you know, that we know many unbelievers who do really well in this life. And it almost doesn't seem fair, does it, that those who don't fear God, who don't love Him, bad things often don't happen to them. They seem to flourish and seem to do well in this life, and they seem to be happy in this life. I know I've got family members that have done very well. They're not believers. They've made a lot of money. They've lived, they've got the most amazing life, and they flourish. I know in Ecclesiastes, one of the difficulties with the, uh, Ecclesiastes, the writer, and he's wrestling with God, and he says, but God, it's not fair that the righteous suffer. The ones that love the Lord often go through a hard time, but the ones who are wicked seem to flourish. Have you experienced that before? And that's the life we live in, because we live in a world that, that celebrates sin and celebrates being independent and doing it by yourself. Um, and so it says here that they flourish. But then what he says is they are doomed to destruction forever. They are doomed to destruction forever. And, you know, I find with grass is that grass, although it grows quickly, grass dies quickly as well. Like in Otsorn when we had this beautiful grass in summer, but in winter that grass died. 
not only that, but grass is very easy to root out. Um, many of you that have worked with gardens, you know that sometimes you need to plant new grass and take out the old grass. And, and it's just easy. You take it and you root it out. And so it says here that the unbeliever is the kind of person that, that in some ways they, they aren't rooted down into something substantial and permanent. They, they, they're living for the now and not for eternity because life is about being happy and it's about now. And you know, I want to say that if you're here tonight and maybe you're just living for this world only, maybe you're happy, maybe you'll be happy, you're aiming to be happy in this world, my friend, we know that actually, it's the Bible says, destruction awaits you because God has made us for the next world. This world in many ways is training and preparing for the world to come. And that's why in many ways, although we're not always happy in this world, although we should be happy and joyful, but our aim is holiness in this world so that we can be happy in the next. And, and so we find that it says with these evildoers um, of, the, of the case that this is what happens, that they're living for now, they're rootless in many ways, but, but for us as Christians, it's something different, something very, very different. And so let's move on to believers, and I'm going to apply this into our lives, but what I'm doing is I just want to give you a bit of a framework in terms of, of what the, the psalmist is trying to say. And, you know, we, sure, it's, we have friends and family members, for me personally, that are living for pleasure. They just live for pleasure. That is not the way to live. That if as Christians we're living for pleasure, we do not understand the ways of the Lord. The Bible says that we have to follow, as follow, we follow Jesus, we in a sense bear the sufferings that Christ did. And while there's pleasure in following God, the pleasure comes while we die. And while we, we identify with the cross of Jesus Christ and with the resurrection of Jesus. And we must be very careful that we are not like the world, that we're chasing after money, status, power, the house on the hill, the nice car. And we can have those things, but it's empty. And he says here that, that, the, that the unbeliever, they, they flourish, but actually they are doomed to destruction because they're living not for the next, they're living for now. Then it looks, and it looks at believers, and let's look at Psalm, the same Psalm, verse 12 to 15, and then he compares them with believers, and he says this in verse 12. Um, is everyone all right? Can you understand my English? Do I need to speak slowly, more slower? No? Okay. Walton doesn't think so. That's good. Um, and then he speaks to believers, and he says in verse 12, he says, the righteous flourish Again, the same word flourish. So as an unbeliever flourishes, the righteous flourish. But their flourishing, our flourishing, our coming alive in some ways is very different. He says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree. So the unbeliever compares to grass, chras, and the righteous compares to palm trees and growing like a cedar in Lebanon. And so it describes two kinds of trees that for us as believers, that we are compared to in the Psalms, the palm tree and the cedar. And I'll explain a little bit about them now. And it says in verse 13, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. Isn't that a beautiful verse? And so I want to look at these two things of palm trees 
and cedars and show that how actually God's heart is to work in us a kind of ability that would stand the test that when the seasons come and the different weather comes, we are not good weather Christians, fair weather believers. We are all seasoned believers. When the storms come, when the good times come, there's something we learn about from these plants. Who thought we could learn from plants? Well, the Bible does. So let's have a look. Palm trees. And it says there, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Now, if you drive down the main road on a church street in Wellington, what do you notice in the middle of Church Street in Wellington. Palm trees. Pa- palm. Is it right? Okay. Palm Boomer. You see a lot of the palm trees as you drive down Wellington down the main, down, and down the main road as well. But the palm trees that the psalmist is speaking about are not those kinds of palms. They, in the Middle East, they grew what they call date palm trees. Date palms. And these trees were very different from the little ones that we find in Wellington. These are the kinds. There's these date palms. In fact, I want to show some pictures to show you what they were like so we can have a look here. That these trees, they were often found in oases. In fact, they grew in very, they, because they actually grow in the Middle East, they grow in, under very difficult circumstances, very dry conditions. They love to grow in deserts um, where they grow in the sand, but obviously they they need to find water. And so they grow near the water, but they grow in the driest conditions that many other plants would not grow in. There's an ancient proverb. It says that with the date palm, that its head is in the fire and its feet are in the water. And, and that's how hard. If you've been to the Middle East, you know how warm it can get there. If you're going to Dubai airport and you get out and it's 45 degrees, the palm trees love that. Like, bring it on. These palm trees can go up to 30 meters high. You can uh, show the next one. 30 meter. Okay. And they can live up to 100 years old. They're used to thriving in harsh conditions. One tree, and you can see here that the... Back, stay. (laughs) These trees, they produce fruits and they produce dates. Uh, Dates that we eat, you know, I think we have them in those bos... Were well, those little bolikis? Yeah, those. <laughs> dates. And uh, one tree can produce up to 80 kilograms of dates per season. 80 kilograms of dates per season. And they produce fruits. If they live up to about 100 years old, some of the old ones, they can produce fruits up to about 80 years old. They are still producing fruit as date palms. Their whole lives virtually. And the image of the date palm is actually mentioned throughout Scripture. For example, in uh, Ezekiel, I'm not going to turn there, but in Ezekiel 41, it describes Solomon's temple and this beautiful temple made by King Solomon where uh, the presence of God was and where the Jews would go to worship the Lord, that the temple was decorated in the walls with pictures of angels or cherub, the cherubim, and date palms, angels, date palms, and all around the relief walls of certain of the rooms would be the pictures of angels and palms, angels and palms. And so the palm tree is very important in the Old Testament. And what does it speak of? Well, it speaks of bearing fruit under difficult circumstance. And we can see that as it says in verse 14 in Psalm 92, I love this, it says, they still bear fruit in old age. Don't you love that? They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord 
is upright. And my friends, I think the heart of God for us as we follow Jesus um, for this lifetime of this walk with Him, as we start with faith, as we walk in faith, as we end in faith, this walk of salvation is a walk where we grow from glory to glory, from strength to strength in Him. And I know for myself, I mean, I've been now a Christian, I've been serving Jesus for about 31 years around there, uh, just over 30 years. And I, my prayer for myself is that, Lord, when I started this Christian walk when I was 18, I was full of zeal. Man, I was so full of zeal. I, I just wanted to witness to anything, man. If it was a dog, I'd witness to that thing. I, I, I just, I loved the Lord so much, but my life was like this. I remember I went through highs and lows, and my faith was often built on my emotions. And as I've grown in the Lord, and I find that my feelings are maybe not as kind of highs and lows that I used to have, but I find that there's, a, there's more of a, even a brokenness in me to understand that actually I know my own limitations now. And I'm more aware of the goodness of God and the grace of God than I ever was when I was a young Christian. I, my prayer for myself is that I want to grow in ongoing humility, that my family would see in me that where I was five years ago and where I am today, that there's ongoing fruit. And that means that I have to reflect Jesus um, and I've got to bear the fruit. I've got to become more kind. I've got to become more truthful. I've got to become more honest. I've got to become more accountable. Not that I'm trying hard, but my roots are, are down in Christ. They, they're drawing from the person of Christ, drawing from the Spirit. And the result is that we bear fruit. Um, over me, I know I, something I desire. I want to ask you today that as we grow in the Lord, that the power of sinful habits that maybe you've struggled with as a young Christian, those, those sinful habits should be broken as you get older because you know the Lord. And the Bible says we've got to grow in grace and in knowledge. I find the older I'm getting in the Lord, the more I'm growing in Bible knowledge. Now, I've got to be careful because Bible knowledge by itself can puff you up. But if Bible knowledge leads to transformation and leads to worship, which is what it should do, then you are growing in the Lord. And I want to say, do not neglect Bible knowledge. That the older you're getting, you should know your Bible better. It would be a travesty that if you mature in the Lord, that you neglect your Bible. Because you've got to grow in that knowledge so it leads you to obedience and leads you to worship. And I know this is something that in my own life I'm praying for more and more and more that would be true for me. Um, the friends that I've walked with, I've had some friends that I've known for 20, 30 years that we've walked with the Lord together. Some of us were these young chokurkis, um, uh, these young men in the Lord that we would, we, would, we would spur one another on and disciple each other in our, in our early 20s. And I've got those same friends today that are serving the Lord, and many of them are more humble, they're gentler, they, they, it's like the edges of their lives are more rounded, it's, they've dealt with some of their sin, and they've become beautiful men. Uh, one of those, funny enough, is Andrew. I remember meeting Andrew, Andrew Selly, as a young man. Um, I was a student at university, and I used to lead a student group. And we invited Andrew to come and minister, and he was this wild man. You know, he had long hair, he was a prophet of God. And I've watched him over the years as I've followed him as a leader, and I've been on his leadership team, where I've seen him become this gentle man, this man that has reflected Christ in the most beautiful way. I've seen him change, and I've seen him beginning to bear fruit in his old age, so to speak. Um, you know, I was in Brazil last year, and ministering, went to minister in a number of churches. Yeah, with Matt. Matt came with, and uh, who else? And Cody, yeah. Koji, as they say in Brazil. 
Koji. Um, and so as we went to Brazil, one of the churches that we got to minister in was a church in Sao Paulo called Station 337. And, uh, and this church, uh, actually I was, I was preaching not on this, but on Christian maturity and how we can grow into maturity, that that's the aim for us in the Lord. So we don't lose zeal, but we actually mature in Him. And I was using the illustration, I said, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful, I said, when I'm an old man, when I'm 75, 80, maybe I've got my walking stick, but I want to be up front with you young guys, and I want to be dancing, and I want to be raising my walking stick as unto the Lord, you know, lich your hande na you know, lich your stock na and I, I want to be that guy, I don't, want to, I don't want to let the young guys run ahead of me, sure, there might be more, uh, they might have more energy than me, but in terms of my love for the Lord, I want it to burn more stronger than ever as I get older in the Lord. And I was sharing this with them and just like, you know, I want to I be that person that, that leads by example when I'm 80 years old in the Lord. That I'm, I'm not compromising. I'm not becoming lukewarm and bitter about the past and, and wishing, you know, oh, I wish I, there was the glory days. You look back, you know. And, um, and as I was sharing this, you know, there were just some people beginning to tear up and some people in the front beginning to weep. And I was like, okay, well... Thank you, Lord. But um, I wasn't too sure because it wasn't a, like a weeping kind of moment. And um, one of the ladies who's a deacon in the church came to me afterwards. Her name is Maria. And Maria came to me afterwards and said, Mike, I want to show you something. My father and this man, he died, I think he was just in his early 80s, 80, 81. He had passed away about two months, two, three months before we arrived. And he was a foundational member in the church in Station 337. He had been there for many, many years faithful, loving the Lord, faithful man. And uh, she showed me a video just before he passed away. It was a month before he passed away of them. And the Brazilians are very exuberant. If you meet them, they love to worship. They, they're very outgoing and their worship is exuberant. And um, she showed me a video of her father praising the Lord. He came up front with the young guys a month before he passed away and he was raising his, his walking, his cane in the air like this. As he was worshiping God, he said, that was my father. And when you mention it, the whole church is like, that was, that was whatever his name was. That was this man. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not doing the, the story justice. But this was this man that he lived that. And it was such an inspiration. And my friends, when it says that they bear fruit in old age, I want to ask you, that: do you have a vision? Or are you going to kind of retire spiritually and let the young ones take over? You know, and why we want young men and women to come through. And I want to challenge you, those who are older here today, um, you know, older than 30, maybe 35, okay. The O-Mensa. Look, when I, was, when I was 22, when I was 23, I thought everyone old, over than 30, you call them Um and Tani and, you know, they, they're old, you know. Guys like Ben, they say Oman, okay. I want to challenge you that, you know, the Bible says that if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. How scary is that? And Jesus in the Gospels, he says, he used the example of Lot's wife. And he says about Lot's wife, he says, beware that you would be like Lot's wife. He's speaking about the kingdom and he uses her as an example. Why? Because we know the story that she turned into a pillar of salts. Now, how did that work? I mean, they were fleeing Sodom. And, um, it was Sodom. They, they were fleeing the city where God was judging the town where they lived in. 
And they, as a righteous couple, Lot and his wife, fled the city. And God said to them through the angel, do not turn around. Do not look back. And we know the story where Lot's wife turned back. And when she turned back, she came under the judgment of God. And the Bible says she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, often when I thought about that story, I thought like maybe she just went, you know, she wanted to see what was going on. And she's running and she goes, like that, quick turn, quick look. And I often think like, that's so unfair, Lord. Like, why did she get judged? And she just looked back, you know, she didn't run back. But actually the Bible, the word describes looking back that she actually didn't just quickly glance back, but she looked back and she actually gazed back with longing. In other words, she wanted to go back. Her heart was in the past and she didn't want to obey God into the future. And I want to say to you that no matter you, whether you're 20 or you're 50 or you're 60, is that if we look back and we long for the past, we will miss the purpose and the call of God for our lives. You might, you might make it into heaven, but you will have no effectiveness here on the earth. And, um, and so we learn that we don't, don't we dare, don't we dare think, don't be one of those that go, oh, I remember the days, you know, oh, when I was young. Some of it can be helpful, but we must be very careful we don't retire spiritually. And, and we see about the date palm, that this bearing fruit in the old age, and being able to endure and bear fruit even in difficult circumstance. And this leads us to the second tree, which is the cedar, cedar tree. And I, we'll look at a picture now. And it says, as it says in verse uh, Psalm 92, verse 12, let's read it. The righteous flourish like the palm tree, and they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They grow like the cedar in Lebanon. I'll show you a couple of pictures of the cedar. This is an example of one of the smaller cedar trees. Um, and this is, in, this is obviously a, a, a modern-day picture of a cedar in Lebanon. And these trees, they were the most famous tree in the ancient world. In fact, these trees were called the king of the trees. That's what they called them. And the cedar trees are famous, if you, if you know your Old Testament, because these trees would um, be cut down, and they would be used for wood for building ships, and they would be used for wood actually for Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was made out of cedar wood, a very hard wood. These trees would grow up to 40 meters in height. 40 meter, this is one of the small ones, 40 meters. And they could live conservatively. These kinds of cedars, up to 1,000 years old. 1,000 years old. In fact, some of the other cedars, they're called yellowwood cedars, apparently have been known to grow up to 3,500 years old. Okay? You can check that out for yourself. Now, what does it speak of when it says that the righteous will, be, will grow like the cedar of Lebanon? And we look at some other pictures here of the cedar. Um, yeah, there's a lady, modern day, in, the, in her cedar tree. What does this speak of? And this speaks of ongoing faithfulness in all seasons. Because the cedar tree is known for its slow, steady growth. And I'll show you a picture of the, uh, a little sapling of the cedar. That's a little small cedar. And so they start small. Just like us, when we get born again. When we get born again, we get born again, the Bible says, as babies in the Lord. Longing for the milk of the word. And as we do so, um, 
we get planted in the house of the Lord. We get planted into Christ. We get planted into his body. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever felt like, Lord, I'm not growing fast enough. Well, the cedar tree, sometimes you wouldn't see the growth. But over time, over hundreds of years, this tree would grow into what we saw earlier, into something magnificent. And this tree is of slow, steady growth. And I love what verse 13 says about the cedar. And and in fact, the other tree as well. It says that they are planted in the house of the Lord. They are planted in the house of the Lord. And you can imagine the cedar tree is that you can't just simply come and uproot a, a tree like that. You can't simply come and decide to pluck it out like you would a piece of grass. This cedar tree, imagine a tree that's over a thousand years old. Imagine if that tree could talk. Imagine the stories that that tree would tell of what it's had to endure, the the weather conditions, the people that have sat under its shade, that have sat under and climbed its branches. Imagine the generation after generation that would find some kind of protection under that tree. Can you imagine? And yet the Bible says that we are like cedars in terms of that God would want us to be firm. In fact, the very word cedar, it means firm. You know, that's the heart of God for us is to be so rooted in him, so rooted in his house, that we are unmovable. That though the seasons of the storms come, that though the difficulties come, though the disappointment comes. And by the way, disappointment is part of the Christian journey and the heritage. And, you know, what interesting that one thing I love about the Word of God is that the Bible is so honest about the disappointments of godly men and women. And uh, one example I want us to look at quickly is Jeremiah. And we see that, in fact, this idea of biblical fortitude or biblical resilience or this ability to be rooted and to remain firm in the Lord, even through all seasons, is something that the Bible describes. Um, Before we look at Jeremiah, one example is Abraham. Do you know that Abraham, when God gave Abraham a promise, he was married to Sarah, and God gave him a promise of a child that would be born from Sarah, from her womb, and from this child would grow, would be this, this nation that would come up through Abraham. Do you know how long Abraham had to wait for that child? 25 years for that promise. And the Bible commends Abraham for his faith, not just because he believed God. He did in the moment, but he continued, even though he kind of, he he took a little roundabout path to get there. But he believed God, and 25 years later, God gave him the promise. Uh, Have you ever thought, why would God do that? Lord, why, why would you make Abraham wait for 25 years? And I want to say, God is interested was shaping the man's character, was putting in him an enduring faith because Abraham is a prototype of us today. He's, a, he's like a forerunner of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Galatians says that. He says that just as Abraham had faith, we have the, the same faith of our father Abraham. And, and, and there's a resilience and a fortitude that sometimes when God would give you promises and he would put a dream in your heart, or you know that he's called you to certain things, you can guarantee that he will delay you, that he will slow it down, that he will test you, and he will bring the storms because he wants you to be rooted properly in Christ. He wants you to be rooted in his son so that your validation, your approval doesn't come from then how successful you are, but it comes from your relationship within the Lord. 
that you find that. And I find that. I used to grasp for things. You know, I remember as a young believer, um, I was a worship leader, as um, Conrad mentioned. And I just wanted to, if I'm honest, I wanted to be famous. I just really wanted to be famous. And I wouldn't have said it, of course, like that, because I was humble. You know? I mean, we, I've even got a CD where I recorded. I've got my face on the picture of the CD. He's got a copy of it. It's going to cost you if you want to listen to that. And I remember in me there was deep insecurity because I was grasping for the things of God, for the promises of God, for the call of God, but I didn't know how to be rooted in Him. And what the Lord did is He had to take it away. He had to um, test me. And I remember I had to learn how to find my approval in Christ rather than in what I did. And it was a deep learning experience. And I want to say, if you feel the delays of the Father, rejoice, because He knows what He is doing in Him. We see not only Abraham, but we see Jeremiah. Jeremiah is my favorite prophet in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, the Bible says, um, well, this section, this is history, actually, he preached for 40 years in his ministry to the people of Israel, and they did not listen to him for 40 years. 40 years. He loved them, he served them, and they rebelled against him, and they rejected him for 40 years. He is an example of resilience. Someone, and there's this beautiful story in Jeremiah 12. You know, what I love about the book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah is not scared to say how he feels. If you read Jeremiah, in fact, it's actually quite uncomfortable reading Jeremiah because he said, you know, he's known as the weeping prophet. And there's places in Jeremiah where he's complaining to the Lord. He even says to the Lord at one point, God, why did you call me? Don't you know, like you, he, in fact, he says at one point, Lord, you have deceived me because I said yes to your call and I did not realize how hard it would be. And he says, Lord, you've deceived me. How's that for honesty before God? And then he even says, cursed be the day that I was born and cursed be the womb of my mother who bore me. This is a man who's struggling with, with disappointment with God. But the fact it's in the Bible tells us that the Lord wants us to, to learn from Jeremiah. And there's this profound story, actually, in Jeremiah chapter 12, where, again, Jeremiah is complaining. And I want to read this to you because I want to read this to you to encourage you tonight and to build in you a sense of that resilience and that sense of that as the storms come, that we're not those who just give up quickly or give up easily, but our zeal remains. And I, I love this. Let's read it um, Jeremiah 12, verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. The Lord, and if you've got your Bible there, in your physical Bible, you'll notice the heading. My heading says, Jeremiah's complaint. (laughs) Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Interesting, eh? That's actually what we read in Psalm 92. Lord, I'm seeing people around me and they, they, they're wicked. They take shortcuts. They, they do dodgy deals. They, and they seem to be doing well. But Lord, I'm struggling. And if you read the context, we see that he was, as a righteous man, wanting to do the right thing. In the town where he lived in, he was from a town, a little town in Israel called Anathoth. Okay, that was the name of his town. And it says that the men of that town were persecuting him because he was standing 
and preaching righteousness. And they were giving him a hard time. In fact, they were threatening him, even um, wanting to kill him. And he was being threatened. And he's like, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. I thought serving you would be like butterflies and bubbles. And, you know, I hear the angels singing and I'm skipping along every day. You know, it's like life is good and God is good and so wonderful to be a prophet. And he's complaining to the Lord out of this. And look what it says. It says, you plant them and they take root. They grow and they produce fruit, the treacherous and the unrighteous. You are near in their mouths and, you're f- and far from their hearts. But you, O oh Lord, know me. You see me and you test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said he will not see our latter end. So he's complaining to the Lord and he's bringing that before God. And you know how the Lord answers him? How does the Lord answer him? Maybe if I was the Lord, I would want to comfort him. My my boy, it's going to be all right. Maybe you would feel the love of the Father and the Father coming around and just saying, that's okay, I'm here for you, my son. But that's not what God does. The Lord is wanting to build resilience in him. And this is what the Lord says to Jeremiah. Let's look at verse 5. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with the horses? In other words, he's saying this, that you think things are quite hard now and you're not able to keep up with the pace, it's going to get even faster. And you're struggling to keep up with running with the men, I've called you to run with the horses. It's like, cool, okay. And then he carries on and says this, and if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Now, what, what's the thicket of the Jordan? What's that? And it's helpful to know that around the Jordan River, there, there were these big vegetation and bushes that would be along the Jordan River. And who would be in the thicket of the Jordan? Well, the lions would make their dens in the thicket of the Jordan. Lions would dwell there. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying that actually things are quite safe now, but I'm going to put you where the lions are. My friends, God has called us to run with the horses, and he's going to put us among the lions. And being a Christian in this age is hard. And the Bible promises that if you serve the Lord, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says the righteous will suffer persecution. People will not applaud you. People will reject you. There are some that will applaud. But in our culture, we are swimming upstream against the tide. And I want you to understand and resolve that have, will you follow the Lord if everyone rejects you? If your family rejects you, will you serve the Lord? If your friends reject you, will you serve the Lord? And I know I've had to wrestle with this myself because being a follower of Christ is why there's times where we have favor and we've got our friends among us. But we are led like, like the little lambs to the wolves. That's the ways of the Lord. And it might be that as some of you end up relocating or moving, or as God moves you to another nation or another city or into another area, or you get sent somewhere, or even if you stay and you you find yourself in a work environment or a a university environment, it will be hard. Get ready for it. 
Because God does not fudge that over. He does not promise that things will be easy. But it is better. It's best. And so while it's hard, that is the way. And so that is the way of the Lord. That is the way of joy. We'd rather have that than walk in the ways of wickedness. You know, um, as I mentioned, I've got family members. And my family members, they live on a broad road. Life is easy, happy, making lots of money. My, my road is narrow, but I would not want it any other way because my way is life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And let's not be like those. You know, Jesus tells a parable of the sower going out to sow the seed. And he says that when the seed was sowed, the seed that bore the fruit ultimately was a seed on the soil that was soft, that could receive the seed. But the seed that actually shriveled up and died were the ones that were sown, well, on the path, but the one was on rocky ground. And interesting, with the rocky ground, there was soil, but there were rocks. And it says that the seed bore fruit, and it sprung up, and they received the word with joy. And then it says, but when hardship came, they fell away. I'm paraphrasing. But the seed died. In other words, they were not prepared for hardship. And so part of my job tonight is I want to put... I want to remind us, we are like the cedars of the Lord. You're an oak of righteousness. You're those oaks. Scrum. Amen? And so in closing, I want to to close this evening. I've, I've been going quite long. But the heart of God, as we read from Psalm 92, is the Lord would want us to be a people that are resilient, that are the people that don't just start well, and that burn bright and burn strong, but we are people who end well. You know, Jesus said, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find those that have remained faithful, that have grown in the ways of the Lord? And in closing, I want to say, you know, how do we, how do we grow? Well, the Bible says, here it says, that those who are planted in the house of the Lord. And I want to read with verse 15. It's, it says, let's read verse 14 and 15. It says this. They bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And I want to end with this by saying this, that the only reason we can remain stable and steadfast like a cedar and like a date palm is because the Lord is stable and steadfast. He is your rock. He's Christ. He's the one we build our lives upon. And if we build it on Jesus, we will remain solid and secure when the storms come. I want to ask you, what are we building our lives on? Are we building it on Christ? Are we building it on ourselves? Let's build it on Him. Let's build it on the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the gospel. He's faithful and consistent and true.